Kommunikationskast. Et ugentligt podcast om kommunikation. Velkommen til Kommunikationskast nummer 169. Kommunikationskast er et ugentligt podcast om kommunikation, og det bliver lavet af Mikkel Vesterkamp. Af Katrine M. Tilke, og direkte fra New York. Ida Djeng. Hej Ida. Hej. Hvordan står det til i Danmark? Alt er godt her. Sommeren er endelig kommet. Okay, det er godt. Og så man kan høre, så er jeg en lille smule forkølet, som resultat af sommerens komme. Jamen, det er jeg faktisk også. Jeg tror, at herovre der er det kombinationen af, at det er helt vildt varmt, og så er der enormt meget aircondition. Ja. Du har været ude og, og interviewe, hvad det vil sige, eller i hvert fald over Skype. Hvem er det, du har talt med? Ja, jeg har snakket med Nancy Skola, hedder hun. Hun er associate editor på en hjemmeside, der hedder techpresident.com. Det er sådan en amerikansk hjemmeside, som følger meget med i, hvordan politikere og politiske organisationer bruger sociale medier og nye medier og teknologi. Så ved seneste valg, der skrev de utrolig meget om, hvordan Obama brugte, brugte internettet, og hvordan internettet langt hen ad vejen var, var med til at sikre ham en sejr. Det jeg har talt spændende. med hende over Skype. Det lyder godt. Ja. Og, og en af grundene til, at jeg synes, det var meget spændende at snakke med hende, er, at der, der er sådan særligt et spørgsmål, som jeg går rundt, og, går rundt og tænker lidt over. Det kan være, at I kan svare på det måske også. <laughs> Kom med det. Men, spørgs- <laughs> men, men altså, lige nu der er der simpelthen så mange forskellige politikere og, og hvad hedder sådan noget, politikere, kendte mennesker, som, får, som laver de her Facebook-grupper og Twitter-profiler og YouTube-kanaler, og de sprøjter ud med informationer øh, ved, ved brug af sociale medier. Og jeg kan ikke lade være med at tænke på, hvad det, hvad det hele egentlig sådan skal gøre godt for. Altså, nej, men altså, det er ikke, sådan, ikke nødvendigvis sådan negativt, men jeg tænker bare nogle gange, hvordan kan man ligesom bruge sociale medier på en måde, så det får en sådan reel indflydelse på politik, eller en reel indflydelse på policy eller lovgivning. Jeg synes, jeg synes medierne, de, det vælter ud med historier om, at nu har den politiker fået så og så mange tusind Facebook-medlemmer. Men hvad betyder det egentlig? Jamen det, det betyder ikke en skid, hvis ikke man putter noget i det. Altså det er vel ligesom med, både med økonomiske systemer og økosystemer osv. Hvis der ikke er noget input, mm. så kommer der ikke noget mm. reelt output. Så hvis man, ikke putter, hvis man ikke putter noget import ind i en by, så har de ikke noget at producere af, så der kan komme noget eksport. Hvis man ikke putter, hvis solen ikke skinner på økosystemet, så, så sker der ikke en skid. Så hvis man, ikke, hvis man ikke lægger noget reelt i det, altså noget der rykker, mm. hvis man ikke øh, lægger en del af sin udvikling af sin politik ud i de sociale medier, eller hvis man ikke gør et eller andet, altså hvis, man ikke, hvis der ikke skal ske noget der, som der ikke skal ske andre steder, så, så kommer der heller ikke noget output, der rykker. Nej. Så det er meget enkelt. Nej. Og jeg, jeg okay, tror måske, ja. at, 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 der, at vi, vi når alle til det punkt <laughs> i vores karriere, <laughs> i, vores, i vores faglige liv, hvor man når sådan en fatig med, um, altså hvorfor, hvor, hvorfor skal de nu også have en kommunikationsplan for helvede? Kan de da ikke bare få røven i gear og komme ud over stepperne? At... Ja. <laughs> At, at sådan er det bare, at, at tingene i sig selv er ikke nok. Der skal også, være, der skal også, der skal også ligges noget i det. Altså det er, ikke, det er ja. ikke nok bare at være pissegod til at lave reklamer, eller pissegod til at lave PR. Der skal, der skal også puttes noget i det, som rykker. Det, det, tænker jeg, jeg tænker, der skal, det kan også være, at, at alle de her hvad hedder sådan noget, sociale platforme og sociale initiativer, de har sådan deres berettigelse et helt andet sted. Men øhm, jeg, kan, jeg, jeg tænker meget over det. Ja. <laughs> ja. Men, men der er også det der med, at, at, at noget... Øh, noget udvikler sig, og så, og så 
er det først, når det er blevet en generalitet, altså når det er blevet sådan en, et allemands eje, at det igen begynder at differentiere sig, og, og så dermed øh, sådan komme ud i en masse nye retninger, hvor det sådan endelig begynder at, at blive til noget fedt. Jeg tror, nu har, vi, nu har alle ligesom vendet sig til sociale medier, og okay, det er her for, for at blive, det er endnu en streng at spille på, eller det er en del af kommunikationsmixet ja, ja. osv. Så, så nu, skal vi til at, nu skal vi til at satse noget med det, mm, ellers mm. bliver det ikke til en skid. Men det bliver i hvert fald spændende at høre, hvad hun har at sige til det. Mm. Men først skal vi have nyheder. Det er rigtigt. Og det er dig, Katrine. Det er stadig mest på de traditionelle medier, at de danske politikere står stærkest. En ny rapport fra danske interaktive medier, FDM, det viser, at antallet af besøgende på partiernes hjemmesider, det er ret begrænset, må man sige. Ja. Rapporten viser, at Venstre i første kvartal havde lidt over 24.000 brugere. Nummer to på listen er Dansk Folkeparti med halvt så mange brugere. SF har cirka 17.000, og deres venner hos Socialdemokraterne har kun lidt over 7.000 brugere. Og det er, jo ikke, det er jo ikke sådan vildt meget, må man sige. Og det tyder på, at det som, altså de steder, hvor at borgerne de så søger oplysninger, informationer og alt muligt andet, det er ikke nødvendigvis på, på partiernes hjemmesider. Og hvis man, altså hvis man lægger alle de her partiers hjemmesider sammen, så svarer trafikken til, hvad danskerne ser og, og bruger på havenyt.dk, toyota.dk, masas.dk, og det siger Morten Helvig Petersen, der er direktør i FDM. Ja, det er jo lidt trist, ikke? Det må man sige. Så hvor får vi informationen fra? Det må være fra tv, radio. Ja, og så tror jeg da også, at øh, der er der nogle politikere, der er aktive på Facebook. Ja. Men jeg tror måske ikke, det er der, man søger hardcore information. Nej. Måske tror man, man har al den information, man skal have for Jamen, at være godt, vælger. Ja. Det, det tror jeg måske, vi er mange, der, der tror. Jeg får al min politiske information fra valgplakater. Ja, som jo er propfuld af information. Ja. <laughs> Fantastisk. Danske Reklame- og Relationsbyråers Brancheforening, DRRB, de har opgjort, hvordan alle deres medlemmer de kom igennem 2009, og den samlede omsætning den er faldet med 16 procent, brugtavancen med 8 procent, og antallet af medarbejdere den er altså også faldet en hel del, nemlig med 6 procent. De finder det så positivt, at, at, at vi alligevel har klaret, klaret det godt i år, hvor at finanskrisen virkelig har, har krasset, og medieomsætningen er, er faldet. Og de har været ude og sige noget om, at vi har været dygtige, og vi har været meget proaktive osv. osv. Og man har udviklet nye forretningsområder, selvom om efterspørgselen på nogle af de mere traditionelle ydelser er faldet osv. osv. Så altså, vi har på en eller anden måde fået ros for vores, for vores innovationsevne øh, og, og fokus på kundernes behov. Ja. Det synes jeg, at jeg synes, det er, det er en, en rigtig fin pressemodel, til ja. de kommer med. <laughs> jeg er glad. glad for, at du faldt over den og tog med. Ja, ja men jeg synes lige, det, det skulle da også altså sådan en, en, lille, en lille positiv historie. En solstrålehistorie. En lille solstrålehistorie, ja. ja. Det, det, det går, der er en masse, der er blevet fyret, ikke? Og det er derfor, ja. tallene så godt ud. Ja. Men, men det er også, sådan skal det bare være nogle gange. Det er kommunikationskast svar på TV-avisens bjørne, unge er født i teologisk gave. Det står, det står ikke så galt til, som i går, tror jeg, venner. Præcis. Ja. Lad være med at købe dit øh, kødhus øh, superbest, hvis du øh, var i tvivl sidste gang, de var ude og hænge, på, ude og hænge til tørre, mm. så, øh, så er de altid ude og hænge til tørre igen, så nu skulle den være helt sikker. Lad være med at købe dit kødhus superbest. Øh, det er også kontant, de har været i køledisken igen hos øh, superbest og afsløret kødfusk, mm. som jo er et utroligt godt ord, kødfusk. <laughs> øh, 
Da den første kødskandale den rullede, der var der jo flere derude at sige, at efter sådan en, efter sådan en bummert, der er det bare knæfald og sige undskyld osv., og, og så skal man virkelig få tjek på de interne procedurer, og så skal man ikke lave sådan en fejler igen. Mm. Og øh, flere har kommenteret, at, at hvis man tror, at kontant de ikke kommer tilbage og kigger ens køddisk efter sådan en, en historie, så er, man, så er man simpelthen for dum. Øh, sidste gang, der kostede det superbest et 60 million beløb, øh, og det er, jo, det er jo noget, man skulle tro, at de kunne forstå, så øh, at, der ikke er blevet, at der ikke er blevet mere styr på det, 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 er, det er horribelt. Ja. Det, er simpelthen, det, er den, det er en af de pinligste kødskandaler nogensinde. Det var øh, særdeles gode nyheder, du havde med i dag, synes jeg. Tusind tak. Tusind. Ja. Ja. Og så skal vi en, øh, en tur til New York. Ida, hvem er det, du har talt med? Jeg har talt med Nancy Skola, som er associate editor på en hjemmeside, der hedder techpresident.com. Og jeg har spurgt lidt til, hvordan forskellige politikere bruger sociale medier, og hvad der skal til for virkelig at slå igennem på, med sociale medierne som politikere. We are a blog, that covers the intersection of technology and politics. Uh, both in campaigns and in governing itself. We cover the United States and we cover the rest of the world too. And we are part of an organization called per- Personal Democracy Forum, which is a New York-based organization that puts on conferences uh, around the world looking at the intersection of technology and politics. How are you organized? How many people are writing for a tech president? Tech president started a group blog back in 2008 looking at the presidential election in the United States. And as part of that effort, we pulled together people that had worked on campaigns using new media, using social media and technology on both sides of the aisle. So we had Republicans, Democrats, um, and some, and some uh, people representing sort of smaller parties too in the United States. And s- since then, we've kind of shaken out to now we have a few core writers. I primarily write for the blog. Um, but we're always open to people guest posting, and we regularly have people contributing uh, content from all over the web. Let's talk a bit about how politicians are using social media now, or how they should be using social media. If you were to design the perfect social media campaign for a politician, what would it look like? What's incredibly important to keep in mind, and I think people are starting to to take this to heart a little bit more now, we're seeing in American politics at least, is that the first thing that you need to do is figure out what the goal is that you're trying to achieve, right? So are you trying to get press? Are you trying to win a campaign? Are you trying to rally people around your issues? And only then, when you can answer that question, should you start building out your social media and your technology strategy. You shouldn't just get on Twitter, get on Facebook, because you think it's the thing to do. Because if you do it right, it does take time. It does take staff resources. It takes a bit of time on the part of the principal, whether that's the member of Congress or the candidate. So if you don't know what you're trying to achieve by doing it, you really shouldn't be doing it in the first place. Do you see that a lot, that politicians engage with the with the public by using social media and they don't really consider the strategy behind it? I think we've seen that a lot for sure. I think, you know, people, they're, they're, uh, I remember back in 2006 at the time I was actually working on the beginnings of a presidential campaign and, and we sat around the office and debated whether or not the politician that we were working for should get on Facebook. And some of us thought it wasn't appropriate for a presidential candidate to do and some people thought, you know, it was sort of neat and creative and innovative and that he should do it. And now we're at the point where it's it's a no-brainer. Every candidate now just as a matter of course in the course of setting up their campaign office or their, you know, governing office opens up a Facebook profile. 
And I, I think it's, you know, it is worth, at this point, you probably do need to have some sort of presence on Twitter, on Facebook, or that sort of thing. But it really makes sense to think through, is it worth devoting my staff resources, devoting my, my own resources to engaging in this medium? And if not, then, you know, that's that's a decision that you make, but it's, it's probably something you should make consciously and not just let these efforts sort of, you know, um, dwindle out in the course of your career. And what are the do's and don'ts for politicians using social media? I think the do's again are, are to to really identify what it is you're trying to achieve and then focus your efforts on that. So if you are trying to make yourself more accessible to your constituents, I think the thing to do then is to look at how can I target those constituents on Twitter, on Facebook, right? So actually go set up groups and communities, mention those groups when you're, you know, doing local events and try to get people sort of rally around and engage in your message that way. If you're looking to get press, then then target press and just be, you know, pretty conscious about those efforts. Um, and I think, you know, it's 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 sort of the old maxim in this field, but it is to be authentic in a way, to not you simply use this as a tool for getting out press releases. And what are the don'ts? Uh, the don'ts are to not integrate your strategy into the rest of your operation. Can you give me any examples? Sure. It's, you know, it's... Uh, People who kind of uh, delegate the maintenance of their Twitter profiles or their Facebook profiles to some temporary person on staff or someone who really isn't integrated in, in the messaging and the strategy of the rest of the campaign. No, I was just wondering if that's something you see a lot, that it's the, the social media job is being outsourced to an intern or a temp worker or someone who is only working for the campaign for a brief period of time. The, there was an interesting uh, incident that happened in the U.S. this past week where Joe Barton, who's a congressman uh, uh, from Texas, had made a uh, had made some comments at a BP hearing recently on the oil spill. I don't know if you had yes, followed this yes. this incident, but he he had apologized for B, to BP for uh, the White House sort of pressuring them to set up a uh, compensation fund for residents of the Gulf Coast. Mm. He later apologized under the threat of, uh, of being removed from his uh, committee assignments by the Republican leadership. And then a few days later on his Twitter feed appeared a post saying Joe Barton was right, linking off to a website that then linked off to an article that pretty much made the case that Barton needn't have apologized because he was correct in what he had said to the BP executives. It, it later turned out uh, that one of his media staffers had linked up a, a website called Amplify, where people post articles that they want to kind of share internally or share with a small group of people, had linked that up to his Twitter account, right? Thinking we're saving some time. This show, you know, this gives us some instant posts on Twitter without mm -hmm. really dedicating a lot of staff resources. And it, he was sort of a, was a victim of the auto tweet there, where he got nabbed for something where he really hadn't intended to do. Mm -hmm. So again, in that case, you could think, you know, Joe Barton's probably better off not engaging than engaging in a way that just shows you're not really paying a whole lot of attention. Do you have any other similar examples where social media has actually backfired the the initiatives? I think generally speaking, people are pretty tolerant about what people do on social media, right? And and the great thing, I think, about social media that we haven't seen maybe in traditional media in the same way is that, to borrow a term from the programming world, is iterative, meaning that people can, you know, sort of make a statement and come back, refine it, can discuss it, can engage in a conversation. Rather than in the past, you kind of put things out into the world and kind of depended on a reporter to report it correctly. Hmm. So I think There, it, there's less of a chance in some ways of of people getting caught in sort of this, you know, gotcha moments uh, because they can always kind of keep coming back to things in the future. Mm. And who's doing a really good job right now? 
Well, it's tough. We I don't know that I think uh, we're not in the campaign season right now so much. We're in the sort of primary season where we're not seeing a whole lot of activity of campaigns engaging uh, on a national level with social media. So the, the focus now is on governing, on legislating, and it's really tough. I think people had an expectation after the 2008 campaign that all this stuff that had been learned by the Obama campaign and by his competitors could really translate very well to the governing space. And I think people are finding that's really difficult to do. Uh, it's, you know, there's there's all sorts of nuances to, to getting legislation legislation through Congress, to building coalitions that don't translate in the same way that campaigns do to these social media. Are you saying that social media, media doesn't really have an impact on policy or legislation or that it's just more difficult than expected? I think it's more difficult and I think we don't know quite how to do it yet. I think the interesting thing is that people are experimenting. People are giving people room to experiment. But I don't think we know yet how it's actually going to play out. And, you know, ultimately, it's important to keep in mind that the goal here has always been not to just get politicians elected or not just to get people pressed, but to actually change how politics works. So mm -hmm. the idea, you know, behind our organization has always been technology betters politics. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and let's examine if that's true, not that, that it just changes politics. So the hope is that it makes democracy more accessible. It, it lessens the influence of money in politics to whatever sense that's possible. And it helps us kind of rethink some of these institutions and ways of doing things that we've always sort of done because we didn't have another way. Mm. You mentioned before that a lot of politicians right now, they aren't really campaigning because it's not election time. But isn't that a mistake that you only use social media leading up to campaigns and then, you know, after the campaign... <laughs> You don't use it at all. Absolutely. But I think what you're seeing is, you know, campaigns are sort of a perfect fit for social media in some ways, as we saw from the Obama campaign, mm. because you have these set targets, you know, exactly when you need votes in Iowa or, or caucus goers in Iowa, and you can set out metrics and you can rally people around those goals and, and, and they're very specific and tangible for people, right? When you mm. get into governing, it's much more amorphous. It's much more, you know, whether you're not even necessarily sure when you have a victory, as we're seeing in the negotiations over the financial reform package in the United States. It, you know, it changes every minute whether this amendment has been considered or thrown out or, you know, modified in some way. It's much tougher to translate that to these mediums. And, you know, I think people are really... The, the hope and expectation is that some of what we do learn in governing, we can start to translate more, excuse me, some of what we learn during campaigns, we can start to translate more to governing. And so that in some ways is the can you Can you give me an example? Or? Sure, sure. So the during the Obama campaign, one of the expectations was that the campaign was more open and collaborative than campaigns had been in the past, right? Mm. So if you were an organizer for Obama in Texas, you know, in the past you would have been ignored by the campaign because they didn't know if they were going to get to Texas, you know, but the way our primary calendar works, or it wasn't a critically important state. In this, in, in the Obama campaign, you had people saying, well, I can self-organize. And then, and then exactly what happened when the campaign got to Texas, there were people ready and waiting on the ground, right? Mm. When Obama got into office, Even in sort of the transition period, he said, we're going to carry over that sense of collaboration and participation and openness, right? Mm. His very first act, pretty much, when he got into office, was issuing an open government directive or the call for an open government directive to be developed, right? To mm. carry over a lot of what had happened during the, the campaign. 
Now, that has been a struggle, but we've seen really positive things. The most recent one is the negotiations over what I was just speaking about, which is the financial reform package that's being uh, hammered out through a conference committee between the House and the Senate in the U.S. right now. The, the proceedings were televised from beginning to end, both on C-SPAN, which is sort of the, mm. the, the cable network that, that broadcasts Congress, and online. And you had people watching it, these proceedings, engaging in it. There's a group called the Sunlight Foundation that actually overlaid the financial contributions that different members of, of Congress had gotten from some of the, the companies that were affected by reform right over the feed that has, was being streamed online. And hmm. we would not, I would make the case that we would not know, have known to demand, it, <laughs> to demand that live stream of those proceedings if we hadn't really developed these expectations over even, you know, just the last two or three years. So what you're saying is that it has become easier to participate and politician has made it made, made it easier for people to participate online. So even though they can't participate physically, they can still have a presence online. And and that's that's a very good point. And I think the other point is we've learned to demand it. We've mm. learned that to, what to ask for. Yeah. And that just because something is physically removed from us, that doesn't mean we can't have, we may have a limited role, but it doesn't mean we can't have no role So let's think mm. through as as a people, as a society, what that role might be. Mm. Going back to what you said before about how all politicians now have their own Facebook account, they have their own Twitter account. With all these social media platforms available, how do you stand out as a politician? Well, I think it's it's why do you want to stand out? If I'm a if I'm a congressperson, I live in Brooklyn, New York. I want to get the attention of my constituents, maybe because I want to rally them around my issues. I want to get reelected. I want to build some sense of community in my, you know, sort of physical community. Then I don't need to stand out in, in the broad sort of media scape. I just need to stand out amongst a certain group of people. I mm. mean, if, if you have, if you have a hundred followers on Twitter, but those are really core people in your community listening to your message and that you're engaging with on a day-to-day -day basis, that's fine. I mean, we so it's all, not, so it's not about quantity necessarily. Exactly. We don't. We don't all need to be Sarah Palin. <laughs> uh, we can succeed in very small ways that don't get a whole lot of press, but really kind of further our missions. If we look, what would you consider to be the next big thing for politicians using social media? I think the next big thing is figuring out. You know, there's sort of by the evolution of the last couple of years has been that by now there's sort of an accepted wisdom that people have smart ideas. Right. Mm. Not all wisdom is contained in Washington, D.C., even if there is some amount of wisdom there. You know, people mm. in the rest of the country have good ideas and we can now have the tools to tap into those ideas. The The trick is going to be figuring out how to do that in a way that's manageable, <laughs> that in a way that's sustainable. I think you see the Obama White House is trying this with something they've built around Twitter. It's a group yeah. called uh, Expert Labs is working on a project to actually put questions to the world via Twitter. The first one that they did was asking what the White House Science Office should pursue as sort of the next, you know, big event in in, uh, in science and technology. They put that out to the world and said, what should we do next, right? Hmm. People are going to have some pretty bright ideas. There's a lot of smart scientists with some free time in this country. And and uh, and so the idea now is like, how do we harness that and, and tap wisdom in a way that actually makes sense to people who are, you know, 
they people working in government and politics are very busy. So how do we kind of slot that into their lives and make it more manageable? We mm-hmm. haven't figured that out. I think whoever figures that out is gonna is going to have a nice little uh, tool in their <laughs> pocket. Okay, speaking of Obama, if you were to grade his social media efforts and or to grade him on how well he's using social media, which grade would you give him? Well, I don't. I think uh, it's important to think about what the president of the United States should be doing. I think on Twitter, he's been very engaged. His staff has been very engaged. He doesn't actually post to Twitter. They've done a nice job of, of uh, communicating with people on the media, mixing it up between sort of dry policy statements and, and uh, a little bit more casual, more like Twitter native um, mm. kinds of communication. They recently, I think yesterday at least, uh, yesterday actually they welcomed the Russian president to Twitter, which was kind of a cute little sort of, <laughs> you know, microburst of diplomacy. Uh, and how is how is he how is he doing on the, in social media? Well, he just joined. Uh, he joined on uh, Wednesday, I believe. So mm. <laughs> he actually visited uh, Twitter's headquarters and signed up. I think when he was was there in California. So I don't okay. I don't know how he, we'll see how it plays out. You know, sometimes you see these bursts of uh, when people first sign up for for Twitter. As with anything, you, the excitement mm. uh, kind of fades out. Yeah, <laughs> but um, where is? Do you think there's room for improvement when we look at Obama's social media initiatives? The honest answer is there's certainly room for improvement, and I don't know how, what it might be. Mm, okay. <laughs> I think they've done a, you know, after the oil spill, the president held this, um, he gave an Oval Office speech, the first of his presidency, I think it was last week. And right mm-hmm. afterwards, they took questions uh, via YouTube. From YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the White House press secretary. And you think, well, that's pretty neat. That's something that a lot of open government advocates have called for. But to what end? What is, you know, ha- was that actually effective? You know, did we achieve what we wanted to? And where do you kind of take that next? I think mm-hmm. they're trying very aggressively to figure out, but I don't think they've figured it out yet. But we see that there are so many campaigns at all levels that are going online and we see that politicians are using social media more than ever before. But can't you be a great politician without using social media? I think for sure. I, and I think that's that's something well worth keeping in mind. And mm. again, it gets back to the idea of are we actually improving democracy <laughs> through these tools? You know. Yeah. What do you, What do you think? Well, I I think it's an open question. Honestly, I think uh, I think there's been some positive steps. There's been some some things that maybe aren't so great. I mean, I think there's been a little too much focus on packaging things so that they sell on Twitter, on Facebook. Um, you know, a medium like Facebook is a perfect platform in some ways for somebody like Sarah Palin. Because mm-hmm. whether you like her politics or not, she thrives on being unchallenged, on creating a vision of the world that people aren't going to push back on. Mm. Is that necessarily a great thing for democracy that Sarah Palin is reaching the public unfiltered? Or would it be better if she kind of went through more, the more traditional press mill, right? So even though it is the sort of, you know, medium and engagement or engagement that's made possible by the new medium, is that necessarily a good thing? Just uh On this topic about like worst practices, can you think of any politicians who shouldn't be using social media at all? <laughs> uh, well, it's a tough question. I think uh, there are people who their jobs uh, put them in a position where social media isn't maybe where they should be spending their time. Um, you know, there's a debate over how open the Supreme Court should be, for example, in mm. the United States. They've, they've, there's been a push for a long time to get them to allow television cameras. 
yeah. inside the Supreme Court. They've pushed back pretty strongly on that. And th- the idea is that the Supreme Court is meant to be slightly removed from uh, from the American public. So should the Supreme Court Chief Justice be on Twitter? You know, you can make the case that not necessarily. It's not a good use of his or her time. What do you think? I think I, I would, I, I, I'm a traditionalist in some ways, and I do think that that's, you know, I think it's fine that they're not. I think that they're, it's fine that they're slightly sequestered um, from the from the sort of buzz of uh, conversation that constantly flows because that's not their job. I mean, people have certain mm-hmm. roles, and I think I think it's better for the average congressperson to be more engaged than they've had been in the past. And I think it's also good for some people to be a little bit removed from the sort of constant conversation mm-hmm. that's happening right now. But what's the absolute worst thing a politician can do when communicating via social media? I don't. I think it's a fairly forgiving medium in a lot of ways. I you know if You can argue that YouTube and video has been uh, frightens a lot of politicians because you can take some some uh, incidents that come across as very sort of aggressive or nasty or you know people just sort of being human and use that against the candidate, especially in a campaign video by their opponent. That certainly happens. Um, mm. I think the rest of you know I think Facebook and Twitter, unless you say something really egregious, uh, you're probably going to be okay. I think that, you know, people have learned to have a little bit of forgiveness for what people say in those mediums. Um, and I think that, you know, the traditional press is changing where they know that people are going to be a little more accessible, uh, a little more casual on these, in these sort of conversations. I mean, as an old Congressional Hill, you know, Capitol Hill staffer myself, sometimes I see things that members of Congress are posting that I think, wow, that's incredibly casual incredibly accessible but the world has changed it's just it's just mm. different than it was even three or four years ago okay so what you're saying is that the, the culture has changed in a way that so w- maybe we're a bit a little bit more forgiving when it comes to all the things that politicians are saying i think so i think you can make that argument i i was actually looking at nancy pelosi uh she's mm. the speaker of the house here and uh i was looking at her youtube channel And yep. the video that has the most views is, uh, it's I think, about 350,000 views. And it's a video of a cat roaming through her Capitol Hill office. <laughs> <laughs> and it's sort of silly. I think they kind of just put it up there to see what would happen. And she got no pushback, really, on that, besides maybe a few blog comments saying, really, are you spending tax dollars on filming a cat roaming around? And I think yeah. 10 years ago, I don't know what the offline comparison would be, but I think it would paint somebody as pretty quirky to have something kind of similar. <laughs> but what about other politicians? If we look to the Europe, uh, to Europe, do you think that U.S. politicians are more social media savvy than European politicians? I think you know, I, I from what I have watched and observed and spent a little time uh, up close with some of these things is that there is a real reluctance in some places to have politicians engage. Uh, in the same way, such as in Germany, in particular, I spent a little time in Germany. I, I came over and gave a talk about technology and politics, and th- there was people were just very reluctant to let politicians let their guard down. They're expected mm. to be a sort of different class of people um, and not engage in in the public realm in the same way. I mean, you know, it's a, the world's a big place, so it's hard to generalize. But I think in the United States, there's the expectation that politicians are you know, they're like us, even the president is like us, and they're meant, you know, it's okay for them to kind of engage in a real sort of, you know, direct way. And But who's doing a really good job in Europe right now? Well, I don't, honestly, I don't know that we've seen a really good job uh, being done. It's a little bit tough because we don't know what happens in some countries, especially where they're, you know, 
for those of us in the United States who are speaking English and, and reading mm. English on, you know, English language media, we don't see sometimes what's happening. I think, you know, we watched, everyone watched the UK election very closely because there was a real bid to replicate what Obama had done. It seems to me that the conclusion from Gordon Brown and his recent social media initiatives was that even though they were great, uh, the outcome of the election was really a victory to like traditional press and television. Well, I don't I mean, it's tough to know. And it's, it's especially tough to know because it was such a short campaign. Mm. The Obama campaign as a model, one of the things you have to look at is that it took forever. I mean, this was a mm. two year plus race. And he was able to build and sustain momentum online in a way that maybe he wouldn't have been able to if he was relying on sort of more traditional mediums. And so I think it was really, you know, people wanted the UK race to be a condensed version of the Obama campaign. And it's just impossible in, you know, sort of a month-long campaign. And, you know, I don't I think that the jury's still out on the Gordon Brown situation because, you know, the televised debates seem to make a big impact on how that election mm. played out. And that's technology. I mean, it's not social media, right? But that was the first ever debate that they had had in the United States, a televised, I mean, excuse me, in the United Kingdom for the prime minister's post. So that's mm. an opening up. It's maybe not opening up in the same way that we've been talking about in the United States, but it's definitely a way of opening up the process using technology. Just to just to wrap up this interview, do you have any examples of, campaign, social media campaign, social media initiative that has really had an impact on policy? An example I've been following closely this week in particular is there are two congressmen in the United States. One's a Democrat named uh, Alan Grayson from the Orlando area in Florida. Another one's named Ron Paul, who's from Texas, and he's a Republican. And together they worked on a proposal to audit the Federal Reserve in the United States as part of the sort of the federal, uh, excuse me, the financial reform package that's going through Congress right now. They worked on it together. They, and part of what they did was really build sort of a public campaign behind it in large part by posting video clips of congressional hearings, you know, mm. pretty boring congressional hearings up on YouTube. And they were, you know, six, seven, eight minute long clips and saying, this is how the federal reserve works because they were interrogating federal reserve officials and, and uh, inspector generals and that sort of thing. And they said, you know, what should we do next? And they asked people, you know, what the next question they should ask at the next hearing and kind of went on mm -hmm. that way and went from where they had no real allies in Congress to when the bill was finally um, considered in the house, it had 320 co-sponsors. I mean, it was sort of amazing mm. reversal for something that was considered very extremist. And do you attribute that to social media? Uh, I think, you know, in, in a lot of ways, actually, I think they focused public attention. They gave something that in the past would have been, you know, considered outside the mainstream and pushed it on Twitter, on Facebook, on blogs in particular, and said, listen, why are we considering, why is this seem so crazy? you know, let's open up, let's consider this and see if it's a valid proposal. And people, when they kind of took a second look, said, you know what, this is something that we want to get behind. In the past, I think that's something where newspapers would have looked at and said, oh, it's crazy Alan Grayson and crazy Ron Paul, you know, with their mm -hmm. off-the-wall proposal, and it wouldn't have gotten a hearing. What do you usually say to critics who would say that, you know, social media is just something that's nice to have, but it doesn't really have a real impact on policy or uh, legislation? I'd say maybe. 
I think uh, we're in the very early period of figuring out if this stuff does any good and how it does any good and where it's worth spending our time. Og det var Nancy Skola. Det var en interessant snak. Ja, yeah. så Ruslands præsident kommet på Twitter. På Twitter, ja. Det bliver spændende <laughs> yeah, at følge ham. Ja, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. men hvordan synes I, de danske politikere de gør det på Twitter lige nu? Eller sociale medier generelt? Jeg følger kun en, og det er Ida Augen. Ja, hun gør det også mm. meget godt. Ja. Ja. Jeg tror måske, Hvad er det, hun gør, det er godt? Jamen, hun er rigtig god til at integrere alle sine forskellige platforme. Hun er sådan meget tværgående, synes jeg. Ja, meget okay. personlig. Ja, meget personlig, ja. Altså, det er helt tydeligt, det er hende selv, der skriver den. Det er ikke ja. en pressemedarbejder. Ja. Mm. ja og jeg synes, sådan, over, en, over en kamp går det sådan lidt, går det sådan lidt blandet, synes jeg. Altså, der, der mangler igen dem, der er nogen, der tør ud over i det arv, nogen, der sådan tør risikere noget på sociale ja. medier. Og det kan jeg godt forstå, at de måske ikke gør sådan i første mm. runde, men, men jeg tror, den af de, af de sådan mere kendte politikere, der tør gøre det, kan også vinde rigtig meget. Men ja. Øhm, ja. Er der nogen, der gør det rigtig skidt i Danmark? Altså, så, så gør de det bare ikke, kan man sige. Altså, så, så er de bare ja. ikke til stede, og, og det kan der også, det kan så også gengæld også give rigtig god mening. Ja. Jeg tror, at forestille sig en fra Dansk Folkeparti, på, på Twitter, det vil, øh, det vil jo bare tage så utrolig meget tid at skulle sidde og svare på, <laughs> svare på ja. både øh, direct messages og, <laughs> og svare det hele. Så det, ja. Det, øh, ja, det kan jeg godt forstå, det ikke giver mening. Men, ja. men det, er lidt, det er lidt tyndt med kreativiteten det må i, man i Danmark for, ja. for de ja. politiske partier på nettet. Det bliver lidt, det bliver lidt formelt. Ja, ja det, er det, det er det. Og det er svært at se gevinsten, ikke? Og tak til Ida Djeng fra New York og for at have lavet interview. Og tak til dig. Øhm, selv tak. Og, og hvad, hvad sker der nu? Ja, lige nu. Lige, lige nu. Der er lige om lige lidt så lukket programmet. Men, men sådan, de, næste, de næste uger, hvad sker der så? Der går vi på sommerferie for første gang nogensinde. For første gang nogensinde. Det er faktisk lidt ja. en sensation. Ja, jeg sidder lige og klipper et skilt ud her, hvor der står ferielukket. Ja. 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 Vi, okay. øh, vi går på ferie i hele juli måned. Mm-hmm. Og så, øh, jamen, så håber vi da, at vi er tilbage i august. Ja. På genhør. På genhør.